Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 147. The last couple of them were, are short. I don't know if we'll cover all of them tonight, but uh, we have this lesson and probably another one, or maybe just this one. We'll see how far we get. Psalm 147 and verse 1. And this is praise the Lord for His great work of redemption. And we'll see many aspects of praise as we look at this uh, passage of Scripture. And then there are other things. We praise the Lord for a strong church is the latter part of it, beginning with verse 13. But if you notice verse 1, we're told why we should praise the Lord. Because He's worthy of our praise. It says in verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. We know that He's worthy of all of our praise. And He shall be praised in glory. In Revelation chapter 5, you find that in glory that the redeemed are praising God. It says here, for he is good, for it is good, rather, to sing praises. This is a good thing for us to do. And that it says, for it is pleasant. And then the last part, and praise is comely. That means uh, that it's uh, fitting for God's people to do so. This is what they ought to do. Verse 2 says, the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. And so we need, uh, Israel especially need to praise him for national redemption. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel, and he does build up Jerusalem. You know, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of him gathering together uh, a great multitude. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse, uh, verses uh, 4 through 8, we find that they're sealed of 12,000 out of each of the tribes of the children of Israel. And then it says in verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. Of all nations, not only Israel was gathered, and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. By the way, if you have Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, if you look back to 6 verse 17, when it speaks of the wrath of God, it says, For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And 7 verse 9, After this I have beheld, and lo, a great multitude... Uh, which no man could number of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood. Who shall be able to stand? It says stood before the uh, throne and before the Lamb. And the only ones that were able to stand would be those that were clothed in, with white robes and palms in their hands. And white robes are symbolical of righteousness. It shows that we cannot stand before God on our own, can we? We have to have uh, Christ righteousness given to us. You know, the Bible says, For he hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God has taken our sins, Christ has taken our sins, and he's given us his righteousness. I think uh, that we got the best of the trade, didn't we? He says, I'll take your sins and I'm going to give you my righteousness. Uh, in the book of Galatians, by the way, this is a good one if you want to turn there. I didn't have it in mind until now, but Galatians chapter 1, I want to read this verse for you. Galatians chapter 1, and it shows the same thing that I just spoke of. I want you to notice verse 4. It says, Who gave himself for our sins. You have the same thing, the trade. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So we're just showing you the trade he made. He gave himself for our sins. He made a trade for our sins and he took our sins. And then he uh, says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. All right, back in our psalm, 
147, verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Remember the first sermon that Jesus preached? In fact, I think we quoted a part of it this morning in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. And that's what it says here. He healeth the broken in heart. And he goes on to say, To preach the deliverance to the captives, open the eyes of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And then he says, To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. By the way, in that passage of Scripture, Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah, and he stops shortly when he says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Because Isaiah goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus stopped before that because he was preaching the salvation instead of the day of judgment. So he stopped right at that particular point. Sometimes a preacher should stop where he's supposed to to make the point. Jesus did. And he said, I'm telling you now that I've come to do all of this. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And if he had quoted the next verse, it wouldn't have been fulfilled because that was a future time. So, to, to the day of vengeance of our God was another thing. And that would be in the future. And he could not have said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, had he quoted furthermore in Isaiah's uh, prophecy. Alright? You know, I don't think the Bible's boring. A lot of people say, you know, Brother Randy and I were talking to a preacher friend and some people find it boring to teach God's Word chapter by chapter and verse by verse. But I think that we should learn God's Word, and the more that we study it and preach it and teach it, the more we'll understand the things that God has for us in His Word. It says, He telleth the number of the stars and calleth them all by their names. Have you ever thought about the fact that the stars were named? I mean, we'd take a pretty good-sized computer to compute that, wouldn't we? I mean, you know, put something on a computer, a book, and you can have how many times a certain word is mentioned or, or a certain phrase or whatever. But listen, all the stars, can you imagine? And he calleth them all by their names. We know a few that we have named, so to speak, the North Star and various uh, stars in the heavens. But God calls every one of them, all the stars, by their name. You ever been out on a real clear night and see all the stars in the heaven twinkling here and there, giving their light? We couldn't even number the stars. But He knows. He telleth the number of the stars. And He not only tells the number of them, but He calleth them all by their names. So, uh, He has great, infinite wisdom beyond that of man. And then it says... In verse 5, Great is our God, and of great power, His understanding is infinite. Think of His greatness. Think of His understanding, because it is infinite. Sometimes uh, you and I, we look at uh, great minds in our world, and the ones that have been, and we read about them, that have thought great things, and great inventions, and great calculations, and uh, theories, and etc., we say, my, that man was intelligent. But God is all intelligent. And all of men, with all their minds as great as some minds are, are just like a little grain of sand, hardly, in the sight of God's uh, greatness of wisdom and of knowledge. It says, His ways are past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? His wisdom is far beyond what you and I could even imagine. And then it says in verse... Uh, uh, six, the Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. The meek he lifts up. The, uh, we need to praise him for his 
work with the proud and with the humble. He casts down the wicked and he lifts up those that are humble in his sight and he will lift them up. It says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. In verse 7, sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing upon the harp unto our God. So it tells us how we should praise the Lord. With thanksgiving and upon the harp, so musical instruments are involved, unto our God. In verse 8, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains, he giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. Praise him, for he provides for both man and beast. He takes care of man upon the earth. He gives us the rain, he makes the grass to grow, and he gives the beast his food and the young ravens which cry. Everything in this earth is provided for by the Lord. And you and I sometimes wonder if he's going to provide for us. Oh, ye of little faith. huh? Jesus said, are ye of not much more value than many sparrows? You say, well, preacher, do you ever worry about that? Well, sure, we all do. We all get those thoughts and then it just shows that we do not trust God enough. That's the bottom line. If God so clothed, Jesus said, why take ye thought for your life? Why take thought for tomorrow? Why take thought for the food or the clothing? He says, consider the birds of the air, how that they uh, are fed. And consider the lilies of the field. He says that even Solomon in all of his glory is not clothed or arrayed like one of these. And he says, O ye of little faith. And so, when we cannot trust God You know, if we can trust God for the very salvation of our soul, I mean talking about eternal life, redemption, the blood of Christ, and for eternity that we could be either saved or lost. And if we can trust God for our salvation, why is it we cannot trust God day by day for other things? We should be able to trust Him. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, give us day by day, or or this day, our days of bread. And it says day by day as well. I try to quote both of them at once, and it's pretty hard to do. It's found in two Gospels. But anyway, it says here on this one, look at verse uh, 10. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. In other words, he does not delight in physical strength, but in those who trust in him. It says in verse 11, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. So God looks far beyond our physical and our outward being. He looks on to the, to the inside of our being. Let's look at verse uh, 12, if you will. And here we find a strong church is uh, indicated. And God's people are called to praise. It says in verse 12, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. God's people. Here ancient Jerusalem is a type of the church. And you find in Hebrews chapter 12, let me read a verse of Scripture for you. Verse 22 and 23. It says, But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now listen. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and so on. So you are come to... The thought of a heavenly Jerusalem and a church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven. And anticipating that kind of a church, then we're called to praise. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. Verse 13 says, For he has strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. God's people are well protected. The bars of thy gates and thy children within thee and the protection that the Lord shows. You know, if we're not for... 
God's protection, we'd be in a terrible uh, situation to, uh, well, what should I say, to expose ourselves before the enemy. But He is protecting us and hiding us within His uh, realm of protection. God's people are well protected. And blessed is the church that's well protected from the wolves and the false teachers, the ones that come in sheep's clothing. Paul protected the Ephesians in that way. In the book of Acts, let me read for you in the 20th chapter. In verse 27, well, verse 17, he tells us that the Ephesian church is the one that is in view. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Verse 27 he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then he gives the warning. And he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. He first says that this flock is to be fed, to be cared for. And then he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Well, that was quite a warning to the Ephesian church, wasn't it? He said, after my departing, there's going to be grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he says, that men will arise to draw away disciples after them. And how many churches have you seen that happen? That's why we like to keep the church stable and unified and loving one another and caring for one another. And knowing what we believe and what we stand for. You know, folks want to come in and make the church a charismatic church. I tell them, go to join a charismatic church if that's what you want. If they want to go, come in and make the church some other kind of church that believes in salvation by works or by baptism, I say, go join those churches that believe those things. Don't come and try to change this one. This is a Baptist church. We believe in the doctrines of grace and of faith. And so, you know, go join the... There's plenty out there. You can take your choice. There's a whole menu of churches out there. You know, if a fellow wants that kind, all he has to do is go and get that kind. But that doesn't mean that people should enter in and disturb the peace and the harmony and the convictions of one of a church that has the convictions upon the doctrines of faith and of grace. And I think that's your business and mine, every member, to stand for those things. And that's why you have so many... Uh, disturbances and so many separations in various churches because you'll find that everyone comes in. It's kind of like, you know, I never could figure out the difference between, you say, well, preacher, you're naive or you don't understand between non-denominational and interdenominational. You know, they say this is a non-denominational church. They say this is an interdenominational church. It all borders on about the same thing to me. So I don't know how you feel about it. But anyway... Let's go on with this next verse. It says, uh, uh, For he has strengthened the bars of thy gates, he hath blessed thy children within. There's the protection for God's people. And then in verse uh, 14, He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of wheat. Now, what's that mean? Peace and harmony help to make the church happy. He maketh peace in thy borders. In the church, there needs to be peace in the borders. Or within that church. Everything within that church needs to have the peace and the harmony. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And if you have confusion, God's not the author of that. If you have contention, God's not the author of that. 
And by the way, you know there's only one way that contention can be in a church? The Bible says there's only one way. It says only by pride cometh contention. It doesn't say it comes any other way in the book of Proverbs. It says only. That's only. So if you have that, you're going to have contention. But here, notice what it says. He maketh peace. Where does the peace come from? He maketh peace in thy borders, and filleth thee with the finest of wheat. That means that he fills the spiritual food adds to a great church. That's why people need to be fed upon God's Word. And remember that scripture we gave in the book of Acts where Paul says, Feed the elders which are among you. Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And when he says feed, that means to not only feed with the word, but it means to feed or lead and guide and shepherd. It has all those thoughts uh, intertwined in it. Then verse 15, He sendeth forth His commandment upon the earth. His word runneth very swiftly. God's word is very urgent. It runneth very swiftly. God's word is quick to hit His mark. He sendeth forth His commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. In verse 16, He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. Our Lord has abundant supply of both snow and wool. Look at that. He giveth snow like wool. He has an abundant supply of it. And the scripture that we gave you this morning, I believe, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, what is it? Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He has a good supply of both. We speak of snow and wool in the literal sense, but God says that's the way your sins are. And he has plenty of supply to cover all of our sins. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. In verse 17, he casteth forth his ice like morsels. Even his hailstones are blessings. Who can stand before his cold? His cold is too severe that we need a place of refuge. No one can stand before his cold. Then in verse uh, 18, he sendeth out his word and melteth them. He doesn't always deal with us in severe cold or in judgment, but he can send out his word and melt that same uh, cold that he sends forth, and he can make it mild. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters flow. He does not always speak with us in judgment. Psalm 103, verse 8 and 9, he says, He's slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Aren't you glad that God does not retain anger against us? Because if he did, we'd always be falling back at the judgment of God. Let me read in Psalm 103 for you. Psalm 103. It says in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Forever. Verse 10 says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. If God had done that, we'd be in a terrible state of judgment always. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Then he says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Fathers pity children, fathers and mothers. They pity their children. They have sympathy toward their children. And God looks at us that way. Even so, it says, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. See, the Lord knows just how weak we are and how much we could, un- we could stand of his uh, chastening upon us. And he will not... Uh, chasten us beyond our capacity to receive that correction. Wouldn't it, you know, we talk about child abuse. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing for a father to whip that 
child, that son or daughter, until they couldn't uh, just keep on whipping. Well, they know when to stop. And we should know that God knows definitely when to stop, more so than human beings. And He knows how much we can stand of correction. And He'll bring that correction until it accomplishes its purpose. And then He will uh, relieve us of any further uh, chastening. It, because it says he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He remembers our weakness. All right, back in our Psalms, let's look at verse uh, 19. It says, He showeth his word unto Jacob, and his sta- it says, His statutes and his judgments unto Israel. I want you to notice that. He showeth his word unto Jacob. His words, actually. He reveals his will to his people. That's why it's so important to study God's word. You know, it's not easy to study God's Word. It takes some effort. It takes some determination. You say, well, I don't understand this, and I don't understand that. Keep on studying it till you do understand it. Keep on searching it out. It says He showeth His Word because He's given you the capacity to understand it. If you're a child of God, He's given you the ability to understand it. And the Spirit whereby you may understand it. Uh, the Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. There are some people that cannot know spiritual things. It says because they're spiritually discerned. So that's why you need to realize that he's the one that showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He's the one that reveals his word and his will to his people. If you study something long enough, you'll finally begin to understand it. But if you just lightly read over and say, well, I don't understand that, I'll go to something else. If you don't understand it, get right down into it and study it out till you figure out exactly what God wants you to know about it. And that doesn't mean it takes 15 minutes to do it. It may take 15 hours to do it. It may take uh, weeks to do it. But you study it out and find out. And then when you finally figure out exactly what God is meaning by all this, come to some convictions that this is what he means and stand upon that conviction after you've studied it out. But just don't take it uh, lightly and don't uh, take it just because someone says something at some point in time as, as final. You know, there's a lot of people that they hear one thing said, and they think, well, that's final. One thing preached. Or they study something about salvation. They say, well, the Bible says about salvation here, just talking about uh, being saved. Yes, but salvation involves the past, present, and future. He has saved us. And the Bible says, we look for the salvation. Now is your salvation what? Nearer than when you believe. Well, I thought I had it when I believed. Well, if it's near, it must be in the future then. I must be looking forward to it. So it's talking about another aspect of our salvation, right? And so the salvation is the past and the present and the future. So we're saved from the penalty of sin by His sacrificial death. We're being saved from the power of sin by His resurrection life and by His indwelling Spirit within us and by His intercession on high. And we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. We're still here present with sin. We have sin presently within us and round about us. But we're going to be saved from the presence of sin at Christ's coming. And we're going to be presented to God without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Perfectly clean and pure. And be conformed to the image of His Son. But that hasn't taken place yet. But God says it's there. So it's past, present, and future. And then in verse 20, it says, He hath not dealt so with any nation. He's talking about Jacob and Israel. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. 
God's people are a peculiar people. He has not dealt with so so with any nation. Uh, I think we'll just uh, pick up with uh, 148, 9, and 50 in our next lesson because that'll just about serve as another lesson. So we'll close with that particular verse, verse 20, and pick up with Psalm 148 in our next lesson. This will be Wednesday night, and we'll try to finish these psalms this Wednesday evening.